Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Luke Bowes, founder of Lucky Saint, the alcohol-free beer brand. While a financial analyst, Luke was, as he says, blown away by the excitement of entrepreneurial startups. He sought to create his own business and was drawn to the maligned alcohol-free beer market. Against the advice of many, and despite having absolutely no experience in the industry, always a good start, Luke spent two years working with six different brewers in three countries with a singular mission to overcome the preconceptions of alcohol-free lager and build a better-tasting, aspirational brand. Lucky Saint launched in 2018. They're now sold in over 7,500 hospitality venues, including 77, yes, I said that, 77 Michelin-starred restaurants and their very own Lucky Saint pub in Marylebone, as well as over 4,000 grocery stores across the UK. And they were welcomed as the British Beer and Pubs Association's first alcohol-free member. Lovely to have you here, Luke. Lovely to be here. Thanks, Elliot. I mentioned that Luke Bowes had no experience in this industry and uh, having had many clients over the years when I was in advertising where we were advertising beer and stuff that's a thing tell me why Luke Bowes was interested in an industry that he knew nothing about apart from probably the desire to drink occasionally which we all have I think the first thing I got really interested in was startups in their own right having effectively spent my career like looking at big businesses and and always felt like it looked more interesting to be in the business rather than on the outside looking into it and why was um, that? Why did you think it would be more interesting out of interest? I just felt more engaging to be doing something about the strategy, like trying to do something with the business rather than just sit on the outside and figure out whether they were making good decisions or not. Yeah. It, it was sort of because I, I was an analyst, basically, at a few different fund management companies. And your job is to assess from the outside and try and figure out, and you're always on limited information. And then you'd meet the management teams, and it, always, it just looked way more fun being on the other side of the table. People that work in jobs, includes me, have a certain relationship with risk. And generally, entrepreneurs have a different relationship with risk. What was your relationship with risk at the time like? Um, and what is it like now? Because that's a I mean, thing I think to decide. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty, I, I think I'm just pretty comfortable with risk. As long as you understand what the, sort of the upside and the downside is. I guess the bit that got me really, really excited was when I discovered there was a whole, after like big corporate, I discovered there was a whole world of startups. And I met two founders of a technology business that was like a concept stage tech business. And it was gonna, they were going to change the world. And they were so excited about what they were building. And I remember, really clearly remember meeting them and just my kind of eyes got opened to this incredible world of like passion and belief and like drive that they had to, to build something. And I thought, God, I've got to, I, I want to be sitting in that chair on the other side of the table. It looked way more fun. More emotion. Yeah, more emotion, more excitement. I, more connection by the sounds of it. Yeah, and just like having more more impact. The stuff that they were yeah. doing would actually, you know, would have a proper impact. And and then you get to no alcohol beer. And then I get the to... Na the natural thing to yeah. go to, obviously, <laughs> after that start. So I had, I get there were a few ideas that kind of came and went, but the one I could never shake off and the one I got, I guess, like really sort of emotionally attached to 
was this idea of reinventing alcohol-free beer because when I first started thinking about this in 2016, it really was, it was the worst category. You'd apologize if you had to order it. <laughs> you, you know, you'd, you'd hide what you were drinking. And that all in spite of the fact that really the proposition of alcohol-free beer is amazing for the right, right consumer on the right occasion. You know, what a great proposition. But in reality, I wasn't even a consumer of it because there wasn't a beer that was good enough to bring me into the category. Which, of course, meant the next step was Luke Post decided to find a beer and create a beer that was good enough to be introduced to the category. We're going to find out lots more about exactly what happened then. Luke Bose is my business shaper. He's the founder of Lucky Saint. It's the, is it non-alcoholic or low alcohol? It's 0.5%. What's it technically called? Is it, is it? So we call it alcohol-free. Alcohol-free. Good, thank you. That's the, that's the nomenclature we should use. So we're at the point saying, I didn't have a beer. People were apologizing for the alcohol-free beer that they were about to order. Enter stage left. The man who doesn't know anything about the category, but is about to go on a quest. And you did. To find the right people to help you make this beer that you wanted to drink. Yeah. Yeah, I just literally started thinking about who I could reach out to, who I could connect with in the brewing world and find a brewer, and it was pretty chaotic. I mean, I was still in, I was still in a job, so I was doing that from, on your sort of question about risk, I wasn't just like an idea and then quit. It was, but yeah, I ended up spending two years working with six different breweries in three different countries, trying to figure out how to brew. And what kept you going in that time, Luke? Because that's a, that's a lot, and as you said, you were managing a day job, and yet the eyes were still looking for this solution. Why were they still looking? Why didn't you just say, ah, well, that was a good idea, but I can't be bothered? I don't know. I just think I'm quite stubborn and just kept going and sort of belligerently just kind of carried on. And then I guess sort of struck gold, really. Reached out to a brewery in, in Germany who I knew brewed amazing lager. And this was always about lager for me. And then they also had the technology to brew alcohol-free beer. And it was just one of those, I remember it so clearly, it was a Tuesday in May of 2017, I guess. And I sent the CEO a cold email. And I've sent a lot of cold emails by this point <laughs> to breweries all over the place and anyone who, anyone who would listen, and most of them go unresponded to. And I lied, I said I was in Germany and I was, I was passing <laughs> on Friday. I just happened and, to be outside your offices. Yeah, exactly. Which you were. It, it, yeah, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And he responded literally in two minutes. I got an email back and he said, yeah, sure, pop by at one. Was, Why um, do you think he responded? I mean, I do. There's been a few of these, like, these outreach things that happen. And I think that's part of trying to make businesses and startups work is you have to like find ways to make connections with people and kind of build rapport and the sort of the art of the the kind of engaging approach, which is enough of the short enough, punchy enough, enough emotion, enough fact, and and then I don't know, a bit of luck. Anyway, it, for but whatever so reason, it, it landed. It basically, landed. it landed in. It obviously landed in his email. Yeah. At a moment, he was looking at his computer, <laughs> and also the fact that you'd said, "I'm round the corner." because I'm here anyway, and I'd really like to talk to you about this, you'd put yourself there physically. Yeah. You decided in your research that that was one of the breweries you wanted to look at. So that wasn't just chance that you were able to say, I'm outside your door. No. Thinking about it like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't. Rather than can we have a chat and I'm sitting here a few hundred, a few thousand miles away. It wasn't like that. No. No, no. It was like, I'm going to come. I'm, gonna, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> so you went and chatted to this fella. 
you then start to have further meetings with this brewery and you then work out how you're going to make this thing delicious. Yeah. And I was in, with hindsight, that was a really smooth process. But in reality, it, it wasn't. It took, it took months and months and months. But we did get there and we made good progress. And I knew, from, I did know from the off that we just started a really good point from in development where dealing with good results from the get-go, which is always encouraging. And let me just ask, because there's a, there's a sort of, there's home economics and then there's the science of making taste wonderful. You're not a scientist. I think you studied languages at university and all that. I mean, you're a creative person, obviously. How did the non-scientist get his head around all these different things that were going on? Or was it more about, I'm just interested in the taste, you work out the process? Or did you start to become a bit of a nerd? I guess over however long it's been now, seven years, seven or eight years, I've got more and more knowledge on on beer and brewing. But I did start at a point of knowing absolutely nothing and and researching it on Google. <laughs> that was the basis. But yeah, I, the, the reason you go and work with the best people, you know, is the general thesis. Like, like can, we, can we get hold of the the best breweries, the best brewers, and then you go from there. And go from there. Like I'm, I think that's true with everything. That I'm, yeah. You shouldn't be the best at everything in your business, right? If you're the best at everything, then you haven't hired the right people around you. <laughs> Absolutely, wise words. And put simply, too. Much more from my guest, Luke Bowes, coming up in a couple of minutes. Right now, they we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishkon Dereas, Victoria Piggott and Dr. Rebecca Newton, organisational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor, discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishkon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. It was back in 2011 when the UK first embarked upon a drive towards greater gender equality at the top of British business. And as of earlier this year, it was reported that a third of board positions in the UK FTSE 100 companies are now held by women. So getting women on boards, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of research that's been done. And we know from research that having women in positions of leadership in organisations and having women on boards makes a difference to the performance of the company, to the culture of the company and to the effectiveness of the board or senior teams themselves. And when you say it makes a difference, um, it improves productivity, it improves how employees feel about their jobs. Is it is it that kind of tangible thing that improves? Yes. Like I said, it, it impacts culture. It also, I mean, in terms of the most tangible outcomes, it improves business performance. So, for example, one study that was done of... 11,000 companies in Australia over a six-year period, they had a look at women in leadership positions and found that a female CEO, for example, increased the market value of that organisation by 5%, which is worth nearly 80 million Australian dollars on the ASX 200 companies that they were looking at. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. There's over 500, I think, now. And you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today is Luke Bose, founder of Lucky Saint, the alcohol-free beer brand. So you've taken me through the 
we're going to create something delicious. You create the something delicious, and that's all very well and good. But then you've got no distribution. You've got no one that's heard of you. You're, without you knowing, 24 months away from a pandemic. What happens next? What does Luke do now that he's got, it's like the secret sauce. He's got the secret sauce, but no one knows about it. I guess, yeah, so the beer, the beer came first. I guess that was job number one. Like, is it possible to brew a beer that's good enough to bring people into the category? And then job number two was, well, is it possible to build a brand that will make people feel positive about that decision? And so worked with an amazing agency to build, I, I guess, do the brand identity. How did you find that, that, that group again? Because your background is in, was it, you're an analyst and all that. How does someone go about getting those, those quote-unquote best people around you? Like total luck. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, well, I did a rigorous process. I, I analyzed the market. I saw 15 different agencies. No. No. My leaving do from my old job was in a random pub in Paddington. I walked in. I saw a guy on the other side of the pub, a guy called Jack, who I recognized. He was a friend of my wife's. So I went over and I said hello. And it was a bit like, what are you doing here and what are you doing? And I said, well, it's my, my leaving deal. I'm going to set up a non-alcoholic beer brand. And he was like, oh, you should, you should chat to John Owen Stew. I'm freelancing at this agency called Other Way. Brand creation is their real passion. And he went, all right then. And so he connected me and, I'm, <laughs> and I met John in the next week. And it literally went from there. And when you meet people like that, and then this, obviously, they've become the people that have got behind this and they've created, I think they've created something pretty fantastic. At what point, how quickly do you know, yeah, they get me because you're, it's vulnerable at that stage. There is no one in your circle. Are you instinctive about that or is it something else? And at what point do you realize you've got the right person? It's really hard. Like on your own, it's a, it's a solo founder. That stuff is really hard because trying to figure out if you're on the right track and you sort of just have to run the process. I think I didn't know. I mean, in that particular instance, I know they presented four different routes in and looking at the four routes it was like well there's definitely something in here it's like i broke the rule on they're always the, the viewers always like don't sort of try and like mold the roots together but you did but you did but ah, that, that, anyone that says that's just not i've never seen yeah. a number of roots of course there's something in if there's something there you f- move yeah. it around don't lose it but mainly it was just about people I, I think they as an agency they just have this amazing they're just quite commercial and sort of practical in how they how they approach stuff and yeah. have really good insight that drive so one of our things was always about premium positioning and so Jono's quarterly challenge to me is like have we got enough gold foiling on our <laughs> on our labels on our you know on the pos all this stuff so is it like are we continuing to like remain premium does that that sense of balancing the kind of the, the client or the, the consumer experience with the commercials with a distinctive brand positioning all those things are quite balanced they're nuanced the way you think about stuff, do you start with, what do you start with, I guess? Well, you know, because the, the, there's the, obviously there's the making money bit in there and then there's the experience bit making in, in there and then there's the kind of how much am I going to invest in making that work? Where, where does it go in terms of the thought process for you? Gosh, I mean, when it came to, like commercial was actually the last thing that was always sat at the bottom of the list in like brand creation and actually like, because everything I always think is a, as a startup consumer brand, most of the marketing that you do is within the product. So you don't have any money for like media or anything mm. like that. So everything from like gold foiling labels to the bottle. I remember, well, I remember being very shocked when 
discovered the price of our bottle versus standard bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I take it that means it's more expensive. <laughs> a little bit more. A little bit more. <laughs> um, but you went, you know what, that's going to make it stand out. That's what we're going to do. It, that's going to make it stand out. Exactly. Yeah. Our D2C packaging that we were discussing. Direct earlier, to consumer. Direct to consumer packaging yeah. is, you open up, it's this amazing, like, you open up the box and it's this amazing sea of blue. And in there, there's a little story card which is gold foiled and has this like lovely. So you know that stuff. That is the. Those are all the touch points that you have. You and know? actually, and that's and that. And we're going to come back to this, but I think that is that is the point, isn't it? What does it feel like to to drink this beer? What does it feel like to touch the bottle? All those things you've been thinking about, which I think is a really good bit of advice to take away if you're thinking about starting your own thing. The journey, and of course, when when you talk about the journey of the five years or six years, you know, you've lived and breathed it. It's like it's tiring. And I look back and I go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you got a beer, you got a pub. I mean, it's all looking tickety boo, easy, funded, no problem. And of course, you know that the reality is different. How have you managed to make the most of the people that have come on this journey with you? Just tell me a little bit about the ebbs and the flows, because from the outside, it all looks very glossy and very easy. But I assume. But that's not the case. I've definitely got a selective memory on this stuff. I think you just, I think you have. For your health. For your health, you forget about yeah. the stuff that was hard once you're over it. It's like, yeah. oh, that wasn't that bad. But in general, we've been, like, we have been, we've been really lucky. We've had great people around us from investors all the way through to the team, our board. You um, say lucky, but you've chosen them. I mean, they've chosen you to a point. Yeah. We've managed one way or another, I guess we sort of managed to connect and, and hit it off with with people who've ended up being like amazingly helpful. So Ben Bilbul, who was he founded an ad agency called Karmarama. He now sits on our board and just after we'd launched, he offered some work by Karmarama to I guess figure out a little bit how we sort of not explode the brand, but build the brand out beyond just the sort of identity in the bottle. Yeah, it's got to live and breathe outside of that, otherwise it gets no traction. Yeah. It's not enough being the product. And we ended up, the result of that afternoon that we did with them, that we did the Nun campaign, which was shot by Rankin. Oh, right, yeah. Which was an, an, like, an amazing coup. It's coming back to me now. I remember the Nun campaign. There were two photographs that Rankin shot of this very striking nun holding a bottle of Lucky Saint. And it was just this it's a very arresting pair of images. And we still have the Nun. And it's still, you know, it's still like probably our most distinctive asset. So yeah, that that came out of just yeah connecting with ben and yeah. and and hitting it off and he believed in what we were doing and then, and then you found others other kind of people along the way that have also believed and that have also invested and what do they yes. bring apart from the money which is one thing what else are they they offering you yeah i always think the it's easy to say this sort of but the, <laughs> the money the doesn't matter but it sort of but it sort of doesn't like you can raise money from anyone but raising money from people who can help is is transformation so we've got james murphy and david golding who founded another ad agency, Adam and Eve. Being able to go to, you know, people like that and they've done they've done work for us with their new agency, NCA, just having their brain power on this stuff is is amazing. And then we've got our, our biggest investor is Jamjar, which is the Innocent Founders. And I think John Wright's been on the program a few years ago. Yeah. One of those. And having them as investors then because they're founders and they've lived the journey all the all the way through all of the phases of the journey. Yeah. They know that um, what, they know what they're doing, but that they they really invest in purpose-driven businesses. So we've seen, I've read a lot about the mental health first aid work that you have got behind the campaign that you're you're very interested in. Beyond that, though, what is the what do they define as the purpose of this business, and what do you define as a purpose? Because I think that's a 
you know, at the end of the day, it's a non-alcoholic beer or it's a low alcohol, no alcohol yeah. beer. I guess it's too part like our stated purpose is to inspire the world to drink better, which is has a couple of really important bits in it for me. So one is the inspire bit is all around creating an aspirational world around Lucky Saint. Like it, this shouldn't be a less than proposition. So this shouldn't be, you know, a zero version of a full strength beer. This is about celebrating the proposition and and then drinking better is all about we're not saying you should only drink alcohol free. We're saying we're advocates for moderation and we should drink great quality. So that's our, our kind of stated purpose. I guess more broadly, like we are and the bit if you look at Jam Dry investing in purpose driven businesses, we're fundamentally trying to improve the state of the nation, the you know, the health state of the nation. Mm. And you stopped um, drinking, didn't you? Or you drink very little. Yes. Just as a way of kind of clearing the head and all that. But I think that's carried on from the time you did that a few years ago. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I t so I did dry January in 2018 and then I did three months and then I did a year. And then I by that stage, I'd, I'd sort of dealt with almost every occasion from weddings to festivals to nights in, nights out. And you figure out that most of the time it's not the alcohol that you're looking for in an occasion. But I've never set myself any rules because I feel like you shouldn't chastise yourself for having one drink. You should celebrate the fact that you didn't have five. <laughs> <laughs> stay with me for my, on that note. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest today, Luke Bowes. And we've got some Hugh Masekela coming up as well. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hugh Masekela with the energetic, as usual, sound of him with Masaru. Luke Bose is my business shaper. Just for a few more minutes, these are the, the golden foiled minutes that we've got left in 2023 here on Jazz Shapers. Of course, a few more days before the new year. But for me, this is it. We talked about purpose and you've mentioned it very eloquently what yours is for the, for the business. The mental health piece that um, I, I alluded to very briefly, tell me about why that has become such an important thing. And I love the thing that there is this notion of mental health first aid. What's that about and why is it so important to you? It was kind of two things that came together. The first was Mental Health First Aid England is an organisation that is seeking to get one in 10 people in the UK workforce mental health first aid trained, which is exactly the same as physical first aid. It is giving people the tools to know what to do if someone is at a crisis point with their mental health. And we wanted to do that as a business. We actually, we were a team of 30 at the time and we... We actually did, we were doing a third of our business. So there were nine of us that did first course with an amazing guy called Harry Corrin. And as we were doing the course... I think he well, lost his father at the age of 12. Is that right? He did. Yeah. And the, he, he opens the training with, with the story about his father. And it was one of those moments where literally it was like someone had punched you in the stomach when, when the story that he told culminated. And... We went on and it's a, it's a two-day training course and it's very intense as a team. On one level, it's, sort of, it's actually very bonding as a team while it's very challenging. But the other thing that was going on in the background was that in all the breaks between the sort of sessions, myself and, and really Emma, who's our amazing MD, were talking about how could we do something more than just training nine people in our business. And we very quickly came up with this idea of we'll train the rest of the people in our business. That's great. But what about if we trained people in our customers? So we obviously work in hospitality a lot. What if we could put 
someone in every pub that we work with, you know, a mental health first aider. So that's essentially the initiative that we started with Harry. So we now train as part of our, I guess, a part of the support that we give our customers is that we'd love to support them in delivering mental health first aid. So Harry will run the sessions and we will invite them. And we, you know, hands up, it's an expensive course and we, we can't afford to put one in 10 people within our customers' businesses through mental health first aid. But what we can do, though, is start this wave. Uh, this wave because yeah. if you take, like, one example, we, we trained one person in one of our wholesalers. It was so impactful for them, mm. they took the initiative to then get one in 10 people within their organization trained. It's brilliant. And what that says to me is that the purpose of this, this beer if you talk about making um, people healthier in a way, you know, and, and it's the connective tissue that you get through drinking or through enjoying those moments, so the empathy that you have. I mean, the whole issue as we move into this Christmas period will be for a lot of people, it's going to be really hard. And that is the way it is. It's always year round, but especially when you're meant to be having a good time. And I think you putting people mm. in there and having a world which is far more empathetic and is trained is is a, is a yeah. fabulous thing. Just tell there, me, sorry, go on. There was, yeah, the, the sort of the thing that, because there is this natural link between drinking more moderately and positive mental health. The thing we'd never sort of managed to do until we kind of got together with Harry was, I guess, frame it in the right way because this is about taking positive steps on mental health. It was so enlightening for me around we have positive and negative coping mechanisms for dealing with stress. And a negative coping mechanism is drinking. Yeah. And let's just quickly jump because we're going to run out of time, unfortunately. The pub talking about positive things and people standing around having fun talking to each other and connecting and so on and so forth. What's it like being a publican? You don't look like your, your average uh, pub landlord, I must say, Luke. <laughs> is that a good thing? I don't it? know. <laughs> I'm not judging my, my friends who are also pub landlords. I've got a couple. But this is, this is a different version. I mean, the idea for the pub was originally born out of, like, we needed an office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what... My excuse for opening a pub is I need an office. I mean, I've now heard them all. And it was, I mean, that was what it was originally born out of. And that, that was, well, let's rent the room above a pub. And then it, as all these things, good things do it, it snowballed into something much, much bigger. And it's become, I so our, our belief as a brand, so this, the belief that sits above everything that we do is the greatest reward of drinking is the social connection, not the alcohol. And so we wanted to create an inclusive pub where we could live and breathe that belief. So the pub's in Marlebone, it's called the Lucky Saints, and we've got the whole building. So we have the ground floor is a going concern pub that serves drinks of all ABVs. So all of the regular beer, that your Guinness, your Camden Hells, like you'd expect to find, as well as Lucky Saint, and an amazing low alcohol and no alcohol range of drinks across wine, beers, spirits, cocktails, etc. Amazing. Um, and it's your office. And then we have the office upstairs. So it's a you know, it's a home for the team where we can build culture. This is the kind it's of thing a, that when I was in the advertising world, you would have gone, and what you're going to do is have a physical manifestation on the high street. And they would, everyone would have gone, yeah, right. But actually, because you're surrounded by those kinds of people, you've gone, well, that is what we're going to do. Well, yeah, it is. Like, so that's the, you know, it, one of the words we use, it's like the physical manifestation of our brand. It's where you can see how does the Lucky Saint brand translate into hospitality? Yeah. You know, what do the interactions look like on a human level? I'm just jealous here. I'm looking at this guy and he's gone and done stuff, which is just fun. It's all the things that, you know, when I was a very young person, we talked about to brands. Credit to you for, for doing this. You're only five years into the journey. It sounds like you've got a lot more to do. 
thank you so much for spending some time with me. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So my song choice is Rolling Stones, You Can't Always Get What You Want. I saw the Rolling Stones when they played at Glastonbury a few years back. Favourite song of mine and Olivia, my wife's. And it always, for, for just sort of like linking it into the Lucky Saint bit, one of our values is get lucky. And this, for me, kind of encapsulates the reality of like some stuff does land, land on your plate, but invariably you, you've got to go and figure out how to make it happen. You can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Blues Artist of the Year at the Jazz FM Awards 2022 and the song choice of my guest today, Luke Bowes. He talked about being stubborn and belligerent and boy, is that important and has been to most of my guests in 2023. He talked about finding ways to make connections. He just turned up at the brewery in Germany and look what happened. Best people, critical to every entrepreneur I've met in 2023. You've got to surround yourself with them. Smart investors, find those investors who do more than just give you the money and that can help you. Framing, he talked about framing things in a positive way. And again, that's been a big theme for 2023 for all of my entrepreneurs. You've got to think about the way to positively position something. And finally, and I love this for Christmas as you think about it and the new year, the greatest reward of drinking is social connection, not the alcohol. Great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely break. I hope you're taking one. Keep healthy and we'll see you in the new year. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.